0: You and I live in a day uh, where increasingly the way of the righteous is dismissed. It's been happening for a long time, but it's happening more and more all the time in our society. We see this new religion of uh, practicality, so to speak, they call it, or progressivism, they call it. There's nothing progressive about it. It's regressive, it's uh, demonic. It is, it's a dismissal of God, it's a dismissal of the truth, it's a dismissal of life itself. But it's popular because it's practical. And increasingly, you and I are the deplorables. We know who said that, but that's caught on. It's not just a joke. We may use it as a joke because we know that we're not the deplorables, but that's increasingly how many in our society see us, certainly many of the leaders on that side. And this passage we're gonna look at this morning speaks, in a sense, to where we are in our society, as ancient as this is. Here's something that was happening uh, 28, roughly, 2,800 years ago in ancient Israel in the northern kingdom around the city of Samaria. And yet, it's always, it always astounds me, it shouldn't. I've been a Christian a long time, but it always astounds me still how very real, how very mainstream the Bible is for our day. So uh, we're in 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to go into 2 Kings chapter 7. And we've got some real estate to cover this morning. So f- please find that in your Bible. I really ask that you do that. Don't just look at me. There is a Bible around you if you didn't bring one. But uh, follow along. It's not what the guy says. It's what God says. And uh, we learn that by by reading his word as, as I read. So, um, So I'm going to read this passage, the long passage, but uh, just follow along. So we're going to start in chapter chapter 6, verse 24. Uh, two weeks ago, we were in verses 15 through 17. I think that was where... Um, you know, Elisha's servant sees all of the Syrian army around and, he, you know, he's, he's like, what, what are we going to do? And Elisha prays God open his eyes that he would see. And, and he sees all these chariots and, and angelic horsemen around. So here we are. Uh, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, has made siege again against the city of Samaria. Because, I mean, he doesn't know he's doing it for this reason, but God has brought Ben-Hadad against Samaria, the capital city of the north, because of of the cult of Jeroboam, the golden calf and all that, um, and then the idolatry, Baal and all that, that has been brought in by Jeroboam's father. This is King Jeroboam, who's the king at this point. Okay, so, and it happened, verse 24, after this, that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army, and he went up, and he besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it, until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver, and one-fourth of a cab, about a cup, of dove droppings for five shekels. Of silver. I've been hungry, but I've never been that hungry, and I suppose you haven't either. And then, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help me, O Lord, my king. And he said, If the Lord doesn't help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And then the king, that's Jeroboam, said to her, What's troubling you? And she answered, this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. And so we boiled my son and ate him. And don't be so surprised. This is ancient history. This is not just this place where you, this happens. And so we boiled my son and we ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. So she's saying, you yeah, know, this is my friend. She's ripped me off. We had a deal and she's ripped me off. And now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes and as he passed by on the wall the people looked and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. So it's a sign of mourning, but you know, it's not like he'd called the people to national prayer or anything like that. Um, Jehoram is, you know, he says there's a God, but he's always angry at God. He doesn't get his way. He's a spoiled brat. so then he said, God, do so to me. And even more, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat remains on him today. In other words, let's get at the righteous. They're the ones responsible for this. God's the one who's brought it. And we're going to kill that guy because he's the one responsible for all this. But Elisha was sitting in his house The senses he was at rest in his house, and the elders were sitting with him, and the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, Elisha said to the elders, do you see how this son of a murderer, so Jehoram is the son of Ahab, the son of a murderer, has sent someone to take away my head? So he already knows what's going to happen. Uh, Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and pin him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still talking with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. And then Jehoram said, surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? But now Elisha wants to clarify things. So he he said, uh, hear the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord tomorrow, about this time, 24 hours from now. And listen to what he's saying. Elisha's saying 24 hours from now, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So in other words, tomorrow this time, six times as much food for one-fifth the cost. You understand that's a miracle, right? Okay. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned, in other words, he's like the lieutenant, he answered the man uh, of God and he said, look, If the Lord will make the, the windows in heaven, could this thing be? What if he would open the, the windows in heaven? If it rained all night, that you wouldn't have enough food for something like that. And Elisha said, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now, there were four lepers at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? That's always a good question. If we say we'll enter the city, the famine's in the city, and then we're going to die there. And if we sit here, we're also going to die. I mean, we're their lepers, and there's no food. And the people hate them anyhow. One way or the other, they're going to die. Now, therefore, come, let's surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, then we live. And if they kill us, well, we're going to die anyhow. So kind of interesting logic, but it's still good logic, you know. Can't hurt, might help, is the idea. Um, And so they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians, and they rose, not a road, they rose. In other words, at evening time. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. There's no guards, there's no one around. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. Doesn't say that there was a great army. It's, he caused them to hear it, I suppose, probably the same army that Elisha's servant has seen uh, a couple years earlier. They said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the king, kings of the Hittites, like up in Turkey, and the kings of the Egyptians down south of us, to attack us. And therefore they arose, and they fled at twilight, and they left the camp intact. Their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when the lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent, they ate, and they drank, they carried from it silver and gold and clothing, and they went and hid them, and then they came back, and they entered another tent, and they carried some from there also, and they went and hid it. In other words, they came into the the camp, and it's like, well, they're not sleeping. There's no snoring coming from the tents. Like, where are all the people? And so they look in, and there's like, you know, there's falafel and hummus, and, and, you know, there's a whole dinner ready to go. And, And they didn't know what had happened to these guys, but they're not there is the point. And uh, so, and plus on top of that, you know, there's clothing. And I mean, you know, if you've ever seen pictures or, or you read these ideas, uh, you know, in the scripture of lepers, they, they're always dressed in rags. You know, they're on the outskirts of town all the time. You know, they're unclean; they always have to stay downwind of everybody, and uh, they, they wear rags. And so, you know, you get this picture almost one guy saying, hey, "Here, try this on. You look good in purple." You know, you, 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 green's your color, man. And 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 and, but on top of that, they're finding silver and they're finding gold. And they're they're hiding this stuff away. They're they're gorging themselves on all of this food. They're going from tent to tent. Doing this four lepers having the time of their lives they had never experienced. They didn't like this before. They said to one another, "What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. In other words, they're going to find out that the, the Syrians are gone. They're going to come, and they're going to realize that we've been eating all the food and that we're lepers and we've contaminated it, right? They're going to kill us. Um, now, therefore, come, let's go and let's tell the king's household. In other words, it's better to be a hero than a dead leper with a full belly. That's the idea, right? Okay, so... So they went, they called to the gatekeepers of the city, and they told them, saying, we went to the Syrian camp, and surprisingly, no one was there. Not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied, the tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out, and they told it to the king's household inside. And so the king arose in the night, and he said to his servants, this is a trap. This guy has no faith at all, right? Remember, it was just a little bit earlier that Elisha had told him, this time tomorrow, tons of food. Now he's being told, the Syrians are gone, there's tons of food. And he said, this is the trap. Let me tell you what the Syrians have done. They know that we're hungry, and therefore they've gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field. They have gone through all this trouble. Um, when they come out of the city, we'll, you know, we'll catch them alive and we'll get into the city. But one of his servants said, Well, please let let several men take five of the remaining horses, I mean, they're going through horses, right, because they're eating these things, um, which are left in the city, and they, they, we may, they may either become like all the multitude of Israel that are left, or indeed, I say, they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed, so let us send them and see. So the king agreed with this. Therefore they took two chariots with horses, and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, go and see. when they went after them, They went after them to the Jordan. Indeed, all the road, like from, it's about 15 miles from the Samaria down to the Jordan River, just strewn with garments and weapons that all the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. And so the messengers returned, they told the king, and then the people went out. They plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a seah of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he'd leaned to have charge of the gate, the same lieutenant from the day before. But the people trampled him in the gate, and he died, just as the man of God had said, who spoke uh, to the king. And so it happened. Just as the man of God had spoken to the king, he said, Two seas of barley for a shekel, a of fine flour for a shekel, shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Then that officer answered the man of God and said, Now look, if the Lord would make the windows of heaven could such a thing be. And he said... Uh, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes. You shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him. For the people trampled him in the gate, and he died." Well, that's a lot of stuff that we just read. Just a few things that I want us to look at. First of all, it's a siege. And you and I don't think of sieges that much. You know, every once in a while, if you like war films, you might think of a siege. But a siege was the uh, neutron bomb, basically, of that day. You know, it was what you used, um, a tactical nuke where, you know, you could destroy all the people, but you keep the buildings intact or they use it today for that matter, you know, uh, to keep cars and buildings and things like that, destroy the people and take advantage of, of, what's left. And God had brought, you know, Ben Hadad, uh, in to, to do this. Now God brought him. But it was Ben-Hadad who had done it. This was, a, this was a different kind of a famine than happens in other places that we read in the Bible. There's other places where there's a drought, and as a result of the drought, then there's a famine because nothing grows. This is a situation where once the siege occurs and the, the city is hemmed in, then you don't feel it at first. But if no water is allowed, no food is allowed, it's just a question of time. And I've been hungry before, like I said. But um, this is pretty significant when you look at this. I mean, things are bad. Things would be pretty bad if I ate a free donkey head. But when you're going to pay two months' wages for a donkey head, I mean, and I guess I'd be better off with the donkey head. I could probably figure that out after a while to figure out something to eat as opposed to a cup of dove poop. Because that's what it is. And then you may have one of your translation, I think NIB says that it was carob seeds or something. It's not. It's exactly what it says. That's pretty bad. There's no exaggeration here. Sometimes we look at these things and we think, well, you know, this stuff just happens. You read it in the Bible, but these things don't happen otherwise. Oh, yeah. In fact, even the cannibalism story, you know, we read about these two women. same thing happened, Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem, 586 B.C. Same thing happened, Titus Vespasian laid siege to Jerusalem in 70 A.D. It's not just an Israel thing. Same thing happened in the siege of Leningrad. Same thing happened in a lot of places in Nazi Germany as uh, food supplies, war thin. So it's true. I'm not here to talk about that. I do think it's interesting how the righteous are always hated. The righteous are always hated. He wants, the the king wants the head of Elisha. And the same thing's true in our society. We see it more and more. Uh, The Jews have always been blamed throughout society, but so have Christians. Increasingly, as you go through, just as you look at history, Nazi Germany, uh, the Soviet empire before the fall of the Soviet empire, Uh, China, it's the Jews and the Christians, the Jews and the Christians, the Jews and the Christians. The righteous are always the ones, the people of God, the true God, not the fake gods. The fake gods survive. The true God, those people, us, they're the ones upon whom the hatred of society and the hatred of the progressives of every age, they come against us. Some of you are thinking, you're going out on a limb here. You're talking about the progressives. Well, I use the term progressive because we can relate to that. I'm not saying that the progressives are out to kill us, so don't misunderstand me and don't misquote me. But if the shoe fits, uh, I think many of us would rather just put our heads in the sand about some of these things and ignore the reality that um, we are hated in our society. Elijah makes this prediction, 24 hours, and everything is gonna be turned around, again, six times as much food for one-fifth the amount of money impossible that's impossible and and really that's what practicality does really practicality looks at those kinds of promises and says there's no way that could ever happen it's absolutely impossible in fact it's preposterous that's what people say about us that's what people say about the things that you and i believe sadly that's what a lot of christians say about the things we believe not you i'm sure but a lot of Christians say those things. You mentioned the pre-tribulation rapture to most Christians, really, I mean most, in this society who call themselves Christians, and most of them will either just treat you nicely and walk away from the conversation, or they'll want to argue with you, because it's preposterous that there could even be a rapture that suddenly, like that, all the Christians, just the Christians, are gone. Like, you've got to be kidding me. Sadly, as I said earlier, a lot of Christians believe that too. That's, that's sad to me that many will say that. Preposterous, that everybody could just disappear like that. Worldwide judgment, really, just worldwide judgment's going to come. You mean just like the flood, right? Just like a worldwide flood. It's going to come and it's going to wipe everybody out. Yes, that's basically what the Bible says about the next judgment, this last judgment that's coming. Really? Four horsemen? Yeah. And no, they won't be revealed, so to speak, until after we're gone. (laughs) Gone, right, okay. Really, but you can't hear the thunder of their hooves? You can't hear the snorting of the horses? You don't see it already? developing in our society. You don't see the destruction of our society like nothing our parents, our grandparents, or anybody has ever seen before. It's happening, and it's not just happening in America, it's actually happening all around the world. And I'm not here this morning to talk about it, but really, just do a little bit of reading. You don't have to dig real deep. Just find out what's going on in in Italy right now, but what's going on in Great Britain, what's going on in France, yes, the protests, But the destruction of things, and and I'm not saying it's going to be the end of the European Union, I don't believe that. But there's this great uprising, and it will be put down. But it's the beginning of what will be the end game. There's a lot of things going on in this society, and like I say, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm just interested in how many people, and now I'm turning it to Christians, who would say, I don't believe some of that stuff. And I don't believe it's as imminent as you think, Hessler. That's okay. You don't have to believe it. I just know what the Bible says. But my question for that person would be, but you're a Christian, right? Yes. And you believe that Jesus really lived on this earth. Yes. And you believe that he lived a perfect life all those 33 years. You believe that, right? Oh, yes, I do. And you believe that he was pinned to a cross And he died on that cross. Yes, I do. You believe that on that cross he died for your sins. Yes, I do. And you believe that he was buried in a tomb, and after three days he rose again from the dead. Of course I do. And that he ascended to heaven. Yeah. And the guy saw him go up in the cloud? Yes, I believe that. And he said he's coming again. Yes, but you don't believe in the rapture, and you don't believe in the worldwide judgment. No, I just think that stuff's preposterous. Well, then you're just not reading your Bible, and I wonder what you really do believe about all the rest. I'm serious when I say that because it's amazing how we separate those things out. I can believe a little of this, believe it a little of this, and pff, that's a, uh, you know, uh, that's extra credit over there. You don't have to really believe in that stuff. This is the only thing you gotta believe in. Really, the promises are throughout the scripture. People call it preposterous to believe. Yeah, I know this, this is what Jesus said. He said, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you, he was speaking to the righteous of the society at that time, the so-called righteous, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. It's one thing to say we believe in something, it's another thing to truly follow it, because following it is the evidence of believing. And by the way, just, well, no time for that now. I've got to be careful of my time. But I love these lepers. These guys are cool. Just the logic they go through, maybe it's because they have no hope left. It's interesting what happens when you are so far marginalized in your society that there's hardly any margin, any bit of the margin even left for you. That's what these lepers are. Why are we sitting here? we gotta do something. We're gonna die one way or another. We can die a slow death here. We can die a slow death there. Or we can go over there, and they'll either kill us quickly, because we're gonna die anyhow, or we'll live. So, out of all the options, that's the best one. It's interesting how you would never think of doing something until you have no choices left. It's interesting when we say, I'm at the end of my options. End of your options? End of our options, that's where it begins. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That's end of our options, that's where we do walk by faith. That's when God says you're up against the Red Sea, lift up your staff in this, and the water's gonna divide. Impossible, just, just preposterous. Who would believe such a thing? Well, when you're at the end of your options, those things happen. When you're at the end of your options, you can use a slingshot to take down a giant. It can't hurt. It might help. And so now they discover this food. And I, and I love, you know, just real quickly, you know, I, want, I don't want to overstretch the types here, but there are types. In a lot of ways, I see these lepers as us. What am I doing sitting here? I'm going to die anyhow. I heard there's good news. And so I go to check it out. The food that they gorge themselves on, in many ways, to me, it's a picture of God's word. And how, for us as Christians, we fill ourselves up on God's word. We live in a society, a church society, a Christian society today in America. No, I'm not, don't worry, I'm not picking on you. Don't misunderstand when I say these things. But there is a danger for every single one of us. That we become connoisseurs of worship teams. We become connoisseurs of how they do that song. That's different than I've heard before. Connoisseurs of sermons—I've heard someone else teach this passage, and they did it better. Oh, well, then, well, you ought to come up and teach if you're that—if you're called to do it. Now, you know, like this is what happens to us sometimes if we're not careful. We can go from Bible study to Bible study. Nothing wrong with that. What are we doing with it? Is the question. What are we doing with it? We never really stop to think about the fact that the more light we've been exposed to as Christians, light meaning God's truth, the more we're accountable for. We never really stop to think, and this is, believe me, this is not a a Hebrew or a Greek thing. This is just taking the English language and say, you know, those first two letters in the gospel are go. As we're going, we're to go. We're to share the truth with people. It's, It's interesting to me that these lepers... They find God's word and they, they gorge themselves on it. They're clothed, right? It's a picture of us and how we're clothed in righteousness you know, when we come into Jesus Christ. They discover all the silver and the gold and what do they do with it? Just like us. You know, we have all these gifts from God. We've, we've come to, to Christ. We're born again. He pours his spirit into us and he says, now I've gifted you. For what purpose? For the building up of the body of Christ, which includes sharing the gospel that people would come in and teaching those who were in the church so that we would all grow to serve one another here in the church and outside. And yet, like them, we bury it. We bury it. We're rich, and I'm never going to show it to you. It's a dangerous thing. It's interesting. I don't want to overstretch the types, but I sure see that here. What do they say? This is not good what we're doing. This is a day of good news. We shouldn't be just sitting here. We should be telling everybody about this. We should be. Why are we afraid of this day of good news? Sometimes it's because we've heard that the society thinks that we're deplorables. I don't really believe that the society thinks that we're deplorables. Some people, talking heads, big mouths, who get a lot of press, they say we're deplorables. And regardless of what anybody thinks, we should know who we are. We've heard that there's tough times coming. Well, we live in a day of good news, but we heard there's tough times coming, and and there are tough times coming. And some people are like survivalists, saved or unsaved, they're survivalists. Look, there's nothing wrong with being prepared. If you live in hurricane states, you should at least own some plywood, right? (laughs) You should, right? There's certain things. If you live where it's cold, there's certain things you better be prepared for. For those who are older and you remember the times of scarcity, you've learned always keep some food on hand. You know, always keep some cash on hand. That's preparedness. There's nothing wrong with being prepared. The question is what do we plan to do with it when the hard time comes? It's mine! Like Gollum, it's mine, my precious. It's mine, and I've got the guns to protect it. Or should we use it to share with those in need to give the gospel? It's a day of good news. Look, let's not be afraid to tell the truth like these guys. Let's not be afraid to tell the truth. The word of God is alive. That's one of the things I see when when I read this, just how true so much of what I see here is for the day in which we live right now. And when we look at the things that are happening in our society in this world, it's easy if we're not careful. I understand why the rest of the world would be very concerned about what's coming. I understand that. They should be. And if I wasn't saved, I would be very concerned about what's coming down in this society. You can see it. You don't have to read the Bible to tell that it's happening. And frankly, if God's not in control, we are all in a heap of trouble. But he is in control. And I don't know what the future holds completely, but I know that he holds it. I know that he holds it. Increasingly, the society is going to marginalize us. I think I'd be really wrong if I didn't say that. I would be remiss if I didn't say it. And we should be prepared for that. Not to protect ourselves. I don't mean it that way. What I mean is just we should be prepared with the answer. The Bible tells us that. They were prepared in the first century. Why shouldn't we be prepared in this century? Prepared with an answer. When people ask the questions, have the answers. Oh, I'm no Bible scholar. He didn't say the Bible scholars had to do that. He said Christians should always have an answer for the hope that we have. We should have hope. It should be evident to the people around us so that they will ask questions. And when they do, it's not that we have to defend the entire word of God. Some of us may be better at that in terms of skill, so to speak, than others. That's fine. It's not a question of the profession, it's a question meaning as in a job or a skill. It's a question of our profession of faith that we can simply say, I believe in Jesus Christ who was crucified, who paid the price for my sins and for the sins of the whole world. That he was crucified, that he was buried, that he rose again, he ascended to heaven and he is coming back. And the people may scoff, let them scoff. Who cares if they scoff? I scoffed, many of you in here scoffed. But you don't scoff now because you know something. But like Steve said, do you remember what it was like when you were freshly born again and there were all those questions where you discovered a scripture and go, wow, it really says that in the Bible. Let us not become so mature in our faith. That some, some, for some reason, we're so uh, trapped and caught in, in the higher intellectual side of this. This is not for that. That's not the purpose of this. The purpose is to give the truth because this is a day of good news. As difficult as the days will become, it's still a day of good news. From the world's standpoint, things seem to be spinning out of control. But God has everything in his hands. Isaiah said, you'll keep in perfect peace him whose heart is fixed on you. May your heart continue to be fixed on him. And he will keep you in perfect peace, no matter what the storm is, no matter how difficult it is. It's okay to be prepared. Do you need a year's supply of food? That's between you and God. Do you need an arsenal? Probably not. Probably not. What we need is the courage to stand up and say, this is what I believe, and here's the truth. Will there be difficult times ahead? Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's trust him. Let's trust him. Let's stand.